back in, uh, in Galatians once again. Thanks for coming today. Um, of course, Pastor is uh, out in North Carolina this uh, week today through uh, Wednesday, comes back on Thursday. So uh, continue to pray for him as he is uh, as he's speaking out there and um, that he would have strength for that trip. We're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 2, verses 17 through 21, the next paragraph in Galatians. I preached a couple weeks ago on uh, verses um, 15 and 16, and we will just review that briefly today. Tozer uh, wrote in a short essay that the idea that the Christian life, uh, he wrote in the essay, he considered uh, the idea that the Christian life is an exchanged life, one for the other. Uh, Christ, he says this, Tozer says this, Christ, by his death on the cross, made it possible for the sinner to exchange his sin for Christ's righteousness. It is that simple, Tozer says. Paul, arguing in in chapter 2, verse 16, says that justification, which is being declared righteous, is by faith alone in Christ alone. And the Christian life is no different. Tozer continues, Christ died for dead men, that they might rise to be living men. And we receive Christ's righteousness by faith, and the life that we live now in the flesh We live by the same faith. Let us read Galatians 2, verses 17 through 21. Paul says, But if, in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For for through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Let us have a word of prayer, shall we? Father, again, we are thankful for the word of God. And we have read already in our call to worship, in our congregational reading, and now here again in Galatians 2, a very important truth that Christ died for us and he rose again for us and that there is nothing in ourselves which pleases you, Father. For our sin has corrupted us It has corrupted our minds and our hearts and our bodies. And we spend our days fighting back the curse of sin all around us and everywhere. And Father, Christ died on our behalf so that we might live. We pray that as we live in this world and in, in the consequences of our sin, that we would live a life of faith in Christ, and in the gospel, that we would live this exchanged life. We pray for your help. 
Pray now that you would help us to understand your word and to apply it to our hearts, that we may be like our Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. So in the book of Galatians, verses 15 and 16 in particular, Paul, well, going back to chapter 1, Paul's been defending his ministry as an apostle. And one of the things he's been defending about it is that the gospel which he preaches is the same gospel that the apostles preached. It was given to him directly by the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, anybody who preaches a different gospel, something other than what he taught, should be accursed, uh, Galatians 1. And in chapter, in chapter 2, verses 15 through 21, he's following up on a conversation that he had with Peter in Antioch. And you may recall the story. Peter was on vacation. He, Peter is a pastor. He's an apostle. And he's pastoring in Jerusalem, down south. Paul and Barnabas are up in the church. They're teachers in the church in Antioch of Syria, which is up in, in the north. And they, uh, the same Antioch of Syria today that you hear about in the news. And uh, so Peter goes on vacation and goes up to Antioch, and he's, he's just spending some time there. And he's fellowshipping with the believers. And primarily it's a Gentile church, and so he's fellowshipping with the Gentiles. And the Gentiles in that church liked things like ham and cheese sandwiches. And, and Peter said, hey, I now like ham and cheese sandwiches. These are pretty good. Uh, and so he was eating with them. He was fellowshipping with them. And he was in perfect freedom of consciousness, conscience, and probably consciousness, <laughs> conscience, he was enjoying the fellowship that he was having with them. But some Jews came up from Jerusalem because James, another pastor in Jerusalem, needed Peter to come back and wanted to find out uh, when Peter was coming back. Hey, Peter, you've been gone on vacation for a while. When are you coming back? Uh, that's the question. And when these Jews got came up there to the church, Peter started changing his behavior. He stopped eating with the Gentiles. He stopped fellowshipping with them. And in his sin, treating the Gentiles differently, and in his hypocrisy of teaching one thing and behaving another way, um, Paul confronted Peter on this. And one of the questions of this passage is, when does Paul stop talking to Peter and start talking to the Gentiles? And it's very likely that Paul is still talking to Peter in our passage today. But he explains, Paul explains that in verse uh, 15 and 16, especially in verse 16, that justification is by faith alone through Christ alone. Verse 16, yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed, Paul and Peter, who were Jews, we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one shall be justified. Now, <clears throat> so... So Paul was saying, look, Jews and Gentiles are both saved the same way. They're justified by faith alone and Christ alone. And if you behave a different way, Peter, you're betraying the gospel not by your words, but by your behavior. 
and you're telling the Gentiles that they have to follow the law in order to be justified, and that is not true. So he calls him calls him out on that. Now in verse 17, he continues to talk about the relationship that the believer has to what Christ has accomplished by means of justification. And some of these verses are a little complicated. I want to focus today on verse 20, but we'll just walk through verses 17 through 19 here briefly. So Paul's speaking still says, if our endeavor to be justified in Christ, which is by faith alone through Christ alone, we too are found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? So what is Paul talking about? Well, he's talking about the, a person's relationship to the law. Did the Jews think that if you were saved apart from the law, you were sinning against the law? This is kind of the unstated argument. So if you say that we are justified by faith alone in Christ alone, then uh, apart from the law, then we have sinned against the law. So salvation then somehow becomes a sin. And that's why Paul says, is Christ then a servant of sin? Did Christ cause us to sin against the law? And his answer is certainly not. God forbid. For if I rebuild what I tore down, so then he uses this example, if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. In other words, if I said that justification is not through the law, it's through faith alone in Christ alone, and now that I've accepted, just, I've been justified by faith alone in Christ alone, I try to rebuild the law for some good, then I'm sinning. I'm sinning against Christ by rebuilding the law, not by forsaking the law. In verse 19 he says, Through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. And now we come to the verse that I would I want to spend the most amount of time on today, verse 20. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And in your outline, in your bulletin, uh, I have three points here that the Christian life, the life that we live today, the life that we live tomorrow when we wake up, has a past look at it. In other words, we look back at our justification. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. That is, it's already done. It happened in the past. Christ has been crucified. I have been crucified with Christ And therefore, it is no longer I who live. So justification is the context of verse 20. And I mentioned, uh, we mentioned last time, and I'll just mention it again. The words that Scripture used to describe salvation, salvation also included in that word salvation, are these word pictures that help us understand what's happening uh, theologically or what's happening in the unseen world. Uh, Reconciliation is one, salvation is one, justification is one. And justification is the courtroom setting. 
Now, this is based on truth. This is not. This is an analogy, but it's more than an analogy. Uh, justification is based on a courtroom where you are summoned to come before the judge, in this case, a holy God, and you are to plead your case, whether you are guilty or innocent. Now, the scriptures are very clear that no one can come before God and claim to be innocent. And I use the illustration of the, if you remember, of the uh, of a balance of a baker's scale and uh, an old baker's scale, where you have weights on one side and the weight of flour on the other side, not a volume of flour. And we think sometimes that I, if as long as I have enough good works, I can outweigh the bad works. Uh, then God will accept me. And we said, no, that's not the case. One sin is enough to separate us from a holy God forever. That's what, hap- that's what we see in Genesis chapter 3. It only took Adam and Eve one sin to be cast out of God's presence. So one sin is enough for God, for a holy God to dismiss us out of hand. So what can we do? Well, one of the illustrations from, from the scriptures has to do with robes. Jeremiah, for example, says that our best works are filthy rags. The best uh, that we can do to clothe ourselves, to make us presentable, to, to come before the, in the presence of this holy God, are dirty, filthy, ripped rags. Okay, they're disgusting. They stink. There's a stench about them. And that's the best that we can do. So what we need is we need new robes, robes of righteousness. And this is what we get from Jesus Christ. When we believe in Christ by faith alone, he gives us robes of righteousness to cover up our sinfulness so that we can enter into the presence of God on the basis of Christ's righteousness and not our own. And then when God says to us, why should I let you into my presence? Why should I allow you into the courts of the righteous? Why should I allow you to stand before me in the congregation? We can say, it's not because of me, but it's because of Jesus Christ. I have trusted his righteousness. I have taken it, the free gift, to myself, and it's mine. Now, this will happen this court date with God will happen for every one of us, for every human being. We will all come before God and he will ask us this question, or probably not this question in particular, but he will judge us accordingly. And that is in the future. But the justification that we have that Paul's talking about here, I have been justified, I have been crucified with Christ, it's no longer I who live, this kind of justification actually happens now in this life. We see this in John chapter 3. I mentioned this in passing last time, but I'm going to turn there this time, and if you want to look at it, you may. John chapter 3 and verse 16. And I would be surprised if if there was someone here who hadn't memorized John 3.16 in some translation. Uh because it's such a common verse. You see it on billboards, for example. Sometimes you just see John 3.16. You don't see the words of the verse, just the reference. 
But Jesus tells this to Nicodemus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Whoever believes in the Son, that is in the Lord Jesus Christ, will have eternal life. Okay, when does this eternal life begin? Verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. That word condemned is the judicial term. Found guilty. So you are whoever believes in him, present tense, is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. In other words, you stand condemned now. Right now, today, in this life. Paul is saying that when we are justified by faith, it is something that happens in the past. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. It's not I who live anymore. There's a a hymn uh, that actually uses some of these illustrations, Jesus, Thy Blood and Righteousness. And in that hymn, the stanzas go, Jesus, Thy Blood and Righteousness, my beauty are, my glorious dress, using the same imagery, cloaking ourselves in Christ's righteousness. Midst flaming worlds in these arrayed, with joy shall I lift up my head. Bold shall I stand in that great day. What is that great day? The day of judgment. For who ought to my charge shall lay? Fully through these, Christ's blood and righteousness. I am absolved I am from sin and fear, from guilt and shame. So the Christian life, the life of justification, has a past look. I look back. So every day when I wake up, I remember that I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. I am dead. So, then what? Well, the Christian life also has a future look. And that future look is the resurrection. But Christ, who lives in me. Paul goes on to say, I, am I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So obviously I'm not dead. Obviously you're not dead. We are here. We are alive. But what is our life? It is the crucifixion. It is not only the crucifixion, but it's also his resurrection. We looked at that in the congregational reading earlier uh, but the main passage here is 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15 on the resurrection. Paul is arguing for the resurrection. He says in verse 50, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put, must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. 
When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come the passing, uh, come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. Remember Galatians chapter 2. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that, your, uh, that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So in the past, we died with Christ. In the future, we are going to be raised again. How do we know we're going to be raised again? Because Jesus was raised again. So we have hope. And what does this resurrection free us from? This idea that someday in the future, we will be resurrected. What does it mean? Well, from 1 Corinthians 15, it means that we no longer live in a body that is cursed by sin, number one. We will live in a body that's no longer cursed with sin. Our resurrection is going to free us from temptation It's going to free our minds so that our minds are not constantly believing lies. It's going to free our hearts so that we're always desiring what is right. There's going to be a freedom, a purification, a righteousness that's going to come to us that we participate in Christ's resurrection. That's what's going to happen in the future. So when we look forward to the resurrection... Uh, the Apostle John says in 1 John chapter 3 that whoever has this hope in him, the hope of the resurrection, purifies himself. That is, now, knowing that I am going to be resurrected, I change the way I live now. So I have been crucified with Christ. That's past. I am going to be resurrected. That's future. And Paul brings those two things together to bring us to the point of verse 20 where he says, the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith, by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And this is the point of the passage. Now this last part of verse 20 is often quoted. You might see it you know, on something you can buy for your home, something like that. It's an often quoted verse. It's a good verse to memorize. But it is tied directly to the doctrine of justification, and Paul ties it directly to the death and resurrection or the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what is this point, this present look? the life that I now live in the flesh. This time that we live in here is kind of a time of in-between. We're crucified with Christ in the past. We will be resurrected in the future. And now we're in this in-between time. Tozer says that this is part of the exchanged life. I don't live my life anymore. What does that mean? 
What does it mean that he says that the life that I now live in the flesh, that is this life here, now, he says, I live by faith in the Son of God. That's the same faith by which he was justified. But instead of living out my desires, instead of living out what I want, instead of living out uh, my sinfulness, instead I live by faith. And it's the same faith by which I came to, to be saved in the first place. I still continue down this road of faith. Colossians 2.6 says, As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Well, how did you receive him? By faith. So how do you walk in him? By faith. So the Christian life, Paul is saying, is if you think of it in terms of, I've been crucified with Christ and I'm going to be raised with him, then what do I, how do I live my life right now He says, well, in essence, you don't live your life right now. Christ gave himself for you when he died. Christ gave himself for you when he rose again from the dead. Those those things were done for us, in our place, on our behalf. So how do I live my life now? I exchange my life. How did Christ live his life while he was on earth? He lived a life of righteousness. He lived a life of faith. He lived a life of prayer. And so now what I do is I give up my sinful life and I adopt Christ's righteous life. That's the life I want. The life that I live in the flesh, I want to live Christ's life. I don't want to live my own. I don't want to live after my own desires. Because my desires are sinful. Christ's weren't. He wanted, he came to do the will of his Father. Is that the attitude I have when I wake up in the morning? That I am here to do the will of the Father? Or do I wake up in the morning and say to myself, here's my will. This is what I am going to accomplish. This is why the scriptures are so important because they correct us They keep us like a curb. They keep us on the path to tell us and to distinguish between what is our will and God's will. Do we live out our our own uh, uh, kind of a faith after our own? Do we believe in ourself, so to speak, and live out that way? Or do we believe in Christ and live out that way? Paul adds some motivation to this idea of an exchanged life when he says that I live by faith in the Son of God and he tells us about the Son of God. And he tells us two things. The Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. And this is, I think, the, the well, no pun intended, but the heart of the matter is when we consider Christ's love for us. See, this is really a matter of wills. This is really a battle for who's going to have control. I can wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to do this. And Christ can say, I don't want you to do that. That's not what I would do. 
And now we have a battle of wills. Why should I, why should I give in? What should remind me that I should follow Christ's will and not my own? It's because he loved me. He loves me. Present tense. And not only does he love me, but he gave himself for me. Romans 5. Greater uh, Romans 5 that said that uh, God showed his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You cannot read through the New Testament and question Jesus' love for us, his sacrificial love for us. He's constantly giving himself for us on our behalf. He's pleading our cause before God even now. And Paul reminds us why he's doing that. It's because he loved us. So what happens when I wake up in the morning and I say, no, I'm going to do things my way. And then I'm reminded that Christ is the one who loved, loves me. My salvation is because he loves me. The fact that I was crucified with him is because he loves me. The fact that I will be raised from the dead someday and throw off this sinful body, it's because Christ loves me. And so now think of it that way. Well, now it's not just my will versus his will, but now the sin is I have to sin against my Savior who loves me and gave himself for me. And if you can imagine any earthly analogy where someone has shown you great love. And what's the last thing that you would ever want to do but to spurn that love, to rebel against that love, to sin against that love? It's a trite example, but it comes to my mind. This is the great sin of biting the hand that feeds you or the great sin of ingratitude. Those sins are extremely, extremely grave because it sins against the very love of God towards us. And again, Paul mentions here that the Son of God not only loves us, but he gave himself for us. And this is, a, this is substitutionary atonement. This is Christ gave himself on our behalf for us. Just like John 3.16 states, he laid down his life that we might live, that we might live a life. And yes, this life is still hampered by sin. It's not our best life now. But it's a new life. It's a renewed life when our motivation changes to be, uh, when our motivation for living the Christian life changes because of justification, because of what Christ has done for us. When you stop and consider the gospel, you can say, yes, Christ died, Christ rose again. But Paul realizes it's not that just Christ died, Christ rose again, This isn't a catechism question. This isn't a theology manual. 
Christ's death and his resurrection are a demonstration of his love that took place on our behalf. For me to continue to live my life the way I want to, the way I think is best, is simply to sin against the very substitute that Christ made for us. So instead, I would ask us this morning to consider substituting his life for ours in this life, the life that we live in the flesh now. Are you living it by faith? Is it something that you seek out? Not in some trite formula, what would Jesus do? But in the reality that I want to live Christ's life. And what kind of life did he live while he was here on earth? And how am I living out that life to the best I can, I can given the fact that I still live this life in the flesh? but I live it by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So we are in between. We've been crucified with Christ in the past. We will be resurrected someday with renewed hopes in the future. But our sanctification now, our sanctification now is his life for mine and mine for his. Let us pray. Our Father, we have hearts of gratitude on the one hand because of the great gift that we have in Christ Jesus. But Father, it's so easy for us to spurn the love of Christ in our sinfulness because we want to have our own way. We want to go after our own desires. We want to have our own will. We want to have our own thoughts, even if they're contrary to Scripture. We easily, too easily, are drawn aside by sin and temptation. But we don't have to live that way, Father, because of the Lord Jesus Christ. He gave himself for us. And we can live in a manner that is like the way he lived in this earth. A righteous life. A life that glorifies you. A life that brings you glory before those around us. And so, Father, we pray that you would help our minds to be fixed on heaven and fixed on our Lord Jesus Christ and to try to work out, as Paul says, says elsewhere, to work out our salvation in fear and trembling to, because we, have, we want to represent Christ in this world. And that should be our desire. It should be our motivation. And to never forget that it was Christ who loved us and gave himself for us, not the other way around. So let us be a people who are grateful and a people who consider well how we live in this world, this life of, in our flesh. We pray that we would be strengthened and encouraged by Christ and through his word as we do so. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen.